Chapter Three of the Red Hand by Arthur Machen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Wanda White. Chapter Three, Search for the Vanished Heaven. For many days after the discussion with Phillips, Mister Dyson was resolute in the line of research he had marked out for himself. A fervent curiosity and an innate liking for the obscure were great incentives but especially in this case of Sir Thomas Vivian's death, for Dyson began to boggle a little at the word murder, there seemed to him an element that was more than curious. The sign of the red hand upon the wall, the tool of flint that had given death, the almost identity between the handwriting of the note and the fantastic script reserved religiously, as it appeared, by the doctor for trifling jottings, all these diverse and variegated threads joined to weave in his mind a strange and shadowy picture with ghastly shapes dominant and deadly and yet ill-defined like the giant figures wavering in an ancient tapestry he thought he had a clue to the meaning of the note and in his resolute search for the black heaven which had vanished he beat furiously about the alleys and obscure streets of central london making himself a familiar figure to the pawnbroker and a frequent guest at the more squalid pot-houses. For a long time he was unsuccessful, and he trembled at the thought that the black heaven might be hid in the coy retirements of Peckham, or lurk perchance in distant Willesden, but finally improbability, in which he put his trust, came to the rescue. It was a dark and rainy night, with something in the unquiet and stirring gusts that savoured of approaching winter, and Dyson, beating up a narrow street not far from the Gray's Inn Road, took shelter in an extremely dirty public, and called for beer, forgetting for the moment his preoccupations, and only thinking of the sweep of the wind about the tiles and the hissing of the rain through the black and troubled air. At the bar there gathered the usual company, the frowsy women and the men in shiny black, those who appeared to mumble secretly together, others who wrangled in interminable argument and a few shy drinkers who stood apart, each relishing his dose, and the rank and biting flavor of cheap spirit. Dyson was wondering at the enjoyment of it all, when suddenly there came a sharper accent. The folding doors swayed open, and a middle-aged woman staggered towards the bar, and clutched the pewter rim as if she stepped a deck in a roaring gale. Dyson glanced at her attentively, as a pleasing specimen of her class. She was decently dressed in black, and carried a black bag of somewhat rusty leather, and her intoxication was apparent and far advanced. As she swayed at the bar, it was evidently all she could do to stand upright, and the barman, who had looked at her with disfavor, shook his head in reply to her thick-voiced demand for a drink. The woman glared at him, transformed in a moment to a fury, with bloodshot eyes, and poured forth a torrent of execration, a stream of blasphemies and early English phraseology. "'Get out of this,' said the man. "'Shut up and be off, or I'll send for the police.' "'Police! You!' bawled the woman. "'I'll, well, give you something to fetch the police for!' and with a rapid dive into her bag she pulled out some object which she hurled furiously at the barman's head. The man ducked down, and the missile flew over his head and smashed a bottle to fragments, while the woman, with a peal of horrible laughter, rushed to the door, and they could hear her steps pattering fast over the wet stones. The barman looked ruefully about him. "'Not much good going after her,' he said. 
and I'm afraid what she's left won't pay for that bottle of whiskey. He fumbled amongst the fragments of broken glass and drew out something dark, a kind of square stone, it seemed, which he held up. Valuable curiosity, he said. Any gent like to bid? The habitués had scarcely turned from their pots and glasses during these exciting incidents. They gazed a moment, fishily, when the bottle smashed, and that was all, and the mumble of the confidential was resumed, and the jangle of the quarrelsome, and the shy and solitary sucked in their lips and relished again the rank flavor of the spirit. Dyson looked quickly at what the barman held before him. "'Would you mind letting me see it?' he said. "'It's a queer-looking old thing, isn't it?' It was a small black tablet, apparently of stone, about four inches long by two and a half broad, and as Dyson took it, he felt, rather than saw, that he touched the secular with his flesh. There was some kind of carving on the surface, and, most conspicuous, a sign that made Dyson's heart leap. "'I don't mind taking it,' he said quietly. "'Would two shillings be enough?' "'Say half a dollar,' said the man, and the bargain was concluded. Dyson drained his pot of beer, finding it delicious, and lit his pipe, and went out deliberately soon after. When he reached his apartment he locked the door, and placed the tablet on his desk, and then fixed himself in his chair as resolute as an army in its trenches before a beleaguered city. The tablet was full under the light of the shaded candle, and scrutinizing it closely, Dyson saw first the sign of the hand, with the thumb protruding between the fingers. It was cut finely and firmly on the dull black surface of the stone, and the thumb pointed downward to what was beneath. It is mere ornament, said Dyson to himself. Perhaps symbolical ornament, but surely not an inscription or the signs of any words ever spoken. The hand pointed at a series of fantastic figures, spirals and whirls of the finest, most delicate lines, spaced at intervals over the remaining surface of the tablet. The marks were as intricate and seemed almost as much without design as the pattern of a thumb impressed upon a pane of glass. Is it some natural marking? thought Dyson. There have been queer designs, likenesses of beasts and flowers in stones with which man's hand had nothing to do and he bent over the stone with a magnifier, only to be convinced that no hazard of nature could have delineated these varied labyrinths of line. The whirls were of different sizes, some were less than the twelfth of an inch in diameter, and the largest was a little smaller than a sixpence, and under the glass the regularity and accuracy of the cutting were evident, and in the smaller spirals the lines were graduated at intervals of a hundredth of an inch. The whole thing had a marvelous and fantastic look, and gazing at the mystic whirls beneath the hand, Dyson became subdued with an impression of vast and far-off ages, and of a living being that had touched the stone with enigmas before the hills were formed, when the hard rocks still boiled with fervent heat. "'The black heaven is found again,' he said, "'but the meaning of the stars is likely to be obscure for everlasting so far as I am concerned.' London stilled without, and a chill breath came into the room as Dyson sat gazing at the tablet shining duskily under the candlelight, and at last, as he closed the desk over the ancient stone, all his wonder at the case of Sir Thomas Vivian increased tenfold, and he thought of the well-dressed, prosperous gentleman lying dead mystically beneath the sign of the hand, and the insupportable conviction seized him that between the death of this fashionable West End doctor and the weird spirals of the tablet there were most secret and unimaginable links. 
For days he sat before his desk, gazing at the tablet, unable to resist its lodestone fascination, and yet quite helpless, without even the hope of solving the symbols so secretly inscribed. At last, desperate, he called in Mr. Phillips in consultation, and told in brief the story of the finding of the stone. "'Dear me,' said Phillips, "'this is extremely curious. You have had a find indeed.' why it looks to me even more ancient than the hittite seal i confess the character if it is a character is entirely strange to me these worlds are really very quaint yes but i want to know what they mean you must remember this tablet is the black heaven of the letter found in sir thomas vivian's pocket it bears directly on his death oh no that is nonsense this is no doubt an extremely ancient tablet which has been stolen from some collection yes the hand makes an odd coincidence but only a coincidence after all my dear phillips you are a living example of the truth of the axiom that extreme scepticism is mere credulity but can you decipher the inscription i undertake to decipher anything said phillips i do not believe in the insoluble these characters are curious but i cannot fancy them to be inscrutable then take the thing away with you and make what you can of it it has begun to haunt me i feel as if i had gazed too long into the eyes of the sphinx phillips departed with the tablet in an inner pocket he had not much doubt of success for he had evolved thirty-seven rules for the solution of inscriptions yet when a week had passed and he called to see dyson there was no vestige of triumph on his features he found his friend in a state of extreme irritation, pacing up and down in the room like a man in a passion. He turned with a start as the door opened. "'Well,' said Dyson, "'have you got it? What is it all about?' "'My dear fellow, I am sorry to say I have completely failed. I have tried every known device in vain. I have even been so officious as to submit it to a friend at the museum. But he, though a man of prime authority on the subject, tells me he is quite at fault.' it must be some wreckage of a vanished race almost i think a fragment of another world than ours i am not a superstitious man dyson and you know that i have no truck with even the noble delusions but i confess i yearn to be rid of this small square of blackish stone frankly it has given me an ill week it seems to me troglodytic and abhorred phillips drew out the tablet and laid it on the desk before dyson by the way he went on I was right at all events in one particular. It has formed part of some collection. There is a piece of grimy paper on the back that must have been a label. Yes, I noticed that, said Dyson, who had fallen into deepest disappointment. No doubt the paper is a label, but as I don't much care where the tablet originally came from, and only wish to know what the inscription means, I paid no attention to the paper. The thing is a hopeless riddle, I suppose, and yet it must surely be of the greatest importance. Phillips left soon after, and Dyson, still despondent, took the tablet in his hand and carelessly turned it over. The label had so grimed that it seemed merely a dull stain, but as Dyson looked at it idly, and yet attentively, he could see pencil marks, and he bent over it eagerly with his glass to his eye. To his annoyance he found that part of the paper had been torn away, and he could only with difficulty make out odd words and pieces of words. First he read something that looked like in road, and then beneath stony-hearted step, and a tear cut off the rest. 
but in an instant a solution suggested itself, and he chuckled with huge delight. Certainly, he said out loud, this is not only the most charming, but the most convenient quarter in all London. Here I am, allowing for the accidents of side streets, perched on a tower of observation. He glanced triumphant out of the window across the street to the gate of the British Museum. Sheltered by the boundary wall of that agreeable institution, a screever, or artist in chalks, displayed his brilliant impressions on the pavement, soliciting the approval and the coppers of the gay and serious. This, said Dyson, is more than delightful. An artist is provided to my hand. End of chapter 3